Content warning. This episode contains imagery of bodily harm and burns. Moss Hollow. Episode 4. The Horse. The sun is rising. It's still hard to see, but the trees lighten to a deep purple. The moss continues glowing. A while back, I bent down to touch it. The humming resonated through my fingertips and filled my lungs with energy and a coolness I can't describe. I couldn't examine anything for long, though. Lacey is steadfastly charging through the brush to follow the path. I can't keep up with her. She hasn't said a word. When I hold the Angelica up to try to see its silhouette, it softly glitters. It pulses with the moss. I wonder what kind of power this holds, if it's actually magic. When I lightly pinch the stem between my fingers, there's something else. I feel the plant moving. I mean, it's not moving exactly. The things that make up a plant, like water, the green fibrous textures, the cells, the pores, the soft feathery leaves. I sense them like they're my own body. They seem to writhe in my hand. I'm not afraid, but I feel its internal pulsing. You know when you have an IV put in and you can feel the fluid going in at first? It's like that, but without any needles or tubes. The longer I hold it, the more I feel its need for something. I sense the veins like fluid silk, the flowers like tiny, delicate green pits, searching for light that isn't there. I trust what the midwife says, that we're protected by this plant. I don't know how, but I've never felt this before. After a couple hours of walking, it starts to become uncomfortable. This flower is getting difficult to hold. It's like sensory overload. Lacey is far ahead now, but since we're following the same route, I'm less worried I'll lose her. I notice that the way the moss behaves has changed slightly since we first left the cabin. Anytime the path loops around dark trees, ferns glitter and unfold beautifully, pointing us to safety. The resonant sound that accompanies the path has been soothing me in different tones. I want to talk to Lacey about it, but I also get the urgency. Maybe Claire will see the glow and meet us up ahead. Maybe she's been found already. I'm desperate to put all this behind us. The glow tapers off. Ahead of us, the trees become sparse, accenting the dim gray light. I can't tell what time it is, but my guess is around 5 a.m. by now. I finally catch up with Lacey, out of breath. We step out into the clearing. The katydids are quiet now, replaced by the soft call of birds. A thick fog is rolling downhill, but I'd recognize this patch anywhere. We're at the meadow. Lacey says, What now? Don't worry, follow me. Another few minutes and we'll be done, thank God. My body is seized with desperate hope that Claire is here at camp, drinking hot chocolate and being doted on by everybody in the mess hall. We stumble down the slope, heading into camp. Our knees are weak. I'm in front now, so I'm watching for the familiar tree roots. I don't see anyone. The kids are still asleep. We round the boys' cabins, the outhouses, and make our way to the gravel drive. There! 
We see the camp vans, two cop cars, and some other vehicles I don't recognize. A group is gathered, listening to a man give instructions. Most of them have their hands on their hips, shifting with tension. This is definitely a search party. Anna! Oh, God. There's Matt, crunching the gravel with each angry step on his way over to me. I look at Lacey, getting ready to absorb the fury coming toward me, and that's when I realize how ridiculous we look. We're covered in sweat, decked out in unbuckled life jackets, carrying a giant vinyl tote bag full of bullshit, and in Lacey's left hand, a bottle of whiskey. Fuck. What the hell? He says. What are you thinking, Anna? I don't want to know why you decided to finally show up like this, but you better have an incredible answer when you talk to law enforcement. We'll talk about your position here later, but right now, finding Claire is the priority. That's code for you're fired and you're a fucked up failure for life. I'd be screaming at you if I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of half the town down the driveway, but in the 100 years of this camp's existence, nothing like this has ever happened. I can tell he's been choosing every cutting word to use against me over the course of the entire night. If he didn't notice the bottle before, he notices now. Lacey doesn't seem intimidated, but I can tell he's sizing her up. And who the hell is this? By now, a cop has approached the three of us, just in time to hear Matt rip me apart for assuming the worst. He continues the tirade for a while, and I stand there taking every verbal blow. He highlights words like reckless, irresponsible, shameless. He's right. It's not acceptable that I didn't return last night. But I've never heard these words used about me. For once, I don't cry. My eyes are stinging red with despair, but nothing comes out. I'm already angry at myself. Matt can't add much more. He basically says everything he's already thought of to distance me from the camp and his reputation. He was always nice to me before, although distant. He's kind of unassuming, a skinny guy in cargo shorts, holding the guessable amount of tension for someone responsible for dozens of kids. He hasn't asked me to explain anything yet. Maybe he's too scared to know. It's for the best, since I haven't thought of what to actually tell him. It will need to be a really good lie. When Matt finally sucks in air, the officer looks us up and down, glances over, and says, Lacey? Hi, it's him. That's Officer Groves to you, young lady. She glares at him with a thousand knives until he cracks a smile and chuckles. Come on, meet me in the front office and we'll talk. He starts to go, and then he says, I'd like to speak with you too, Ms. Pierce, after the search party gets moving. Matt mutters some choice words, ultimately giving up to cool off. He joins the cop, expecting us to follow. Why'd you have to bring that out? I fire at Lacey under my breath. Now we're really screwed. No, you're screwed. I'm busy helping you, and you're going to blame me for your fuck-up? I just mean, the alcohol doesn't really help our case. You mean your case? I can sip on the corn mother all goddamn day if I choose. Don't come at me like that. We sit in front of the office on a wooden bench, like we're kids in trouble and we got sent to the principal's office. The cop is talking into his radio inside, giving dispatch an update. He seems a little too self-assured for how serious this is. 
The search party is heading up to the meadow. Some people move with confidence like they've done this before, maybe former rangers or SAR. Others are just regular people, I guess, from Moss Hollow, maybe friends of the cops doing a favor. Hanging from the gutter above me is a web. The spider's body hangs delicately between dewdrops. This one is a thick, brown spider, her front legs stretched toward the earth. She has stripes across her still body, perfectly symmetrical as if they anchor her in place. Glancing behind me, I see her reflection in the window, just a whisper of a shape. <gasps> I whip around to face the window now. In the reflection is Claire. She's worn out and her face is sallow. She's standing behind us. <gasps> Claire! I fall off the bench as I stand up. I look around. She's not there. I'm panicking now and breathing hard. <sighs> What's the matter with you? She was right. Did you see her? She was right. Breathe. Oh my god, breathe. Is your blood sugar okay? The officer is cursing. Damn it. His radio is giving out. Lacey says, just sit here and eat a cheese cracker, okay? I'll go first. Just count to 100 and breathe slow. When I don't see Claire, I force myself to sit down and I inhale. I clutch my temples and squeeze my eyes shut for a moment. From inside, he says, Lacey Bronson, I see you more often than I'd like. Lacey holds back a response behind pursed lips. It's not because she respects him, definitely the opposite. Maybe instead because she's familiar with handling this particular form of old guy, lighthearted harassment. Or maybe because it will get her out of here faster if she sticks to the important information. What brings you to summer camp? He makes fun of her. I ran into some car trouble. Close the door. I'll take your statement. He quickly adds, It's just protocol. If it all adds up right, I won't tell your mother. She scoffs and aggressively clicks the door shut. I wipe condensation from the window inconspicuously, just in case. Looking around again, there's nothing. Just low fog kissing the grass. When I look up, the spider is gone. Matt arrives. Now that we're sort of alone, he attempts some neutrality. He says, You're nice, but you have no sense of authority. The kids walk all over you. Look, I'm sorry your dad died, but... I'd fire you right now, except we have 80 children freaking out. So if you want to make yourself useful, eat something from the mess, go to sleep for three hours, then get up and help the other counselors. Find something to do with the kids. Play with yarn. I don't give a shit. Matt steps into the office. A few minutes go by. When Lacey comes out, she closes the door behind her. Look, I kept my lie pretty simple. I told him I was being nice and tried to take you into town last night until our car went off the road. We had to hike back up the mountain, and we put on the brightest colors we had so we'd be spotted faster. Well, technically, none of that is a lie. Me being nice is a lie. Um, did you say anything else? Nope, and you won't either. But how do we explain it? I don't know. Maybe we found a meth head's tent out in the boonies and he attacked our car. What about the birds? Mother nature is a bitch. Or what about the lady in the cabin? 
historical reenactors or something. Jesus. In the middle of the night? Those people get really into it. Before I can ask more annoying what-ifs, she adds, Maybe my friends poisoned the taquitos at work, and that was the worst trip of my life. My head is swimming, but I have to figure this out before I go into the office. Is there anything else in, like, mountain culture that could explain it? Mountain culture? I mean, you said stuff about how whistling at night is bad, and um, don't respond to your name, that kind of stuff. I don't know, is there anyone else in town who has stories like ours? So, you think we're just weird, superstitious hillbillies? No. No, I don't think that. I, I just wonder. All that dumb nonsense is spun by old people to keep kids in line. Look, we're just regular-ass people trying to live our lives. Not hike a goddamn mountain all night. I'm realizing now that she wanted nothing to do with me the moment we stepped into camp. I'm such an idiot. She sinks to the bench with her arms crossed and her knees wide. I'm afraid to talk to her now. Inside, I give a brief account to match Lacey's as best I can, but he's focused more on the moment of Claire's disappearance, yesterday morning. To this, I give every detail. What in the hell? Excuse my language. These are brand new. The interview is over. With the door open, he says to Lacey, Come on, I'll drive you home. They load all her items into his car. She looks to me, but doesn't say anything. I'm not sure how I'll contact her again if I have to, unless I can somehow get to the gas station. Her wild blonde hair is the last thing I see as she gets in and closes the door. They peel down the hill and away from camp. Back at my bunk, I plug my phone in and stare up at the wooden ceiling. A fan spins slowly, blowing stale cabin air toward me. I know I won't sleep. I turn Lacey's small, discarded box over in my hand and place it on the windowsill. I lift the angelica above me, holding it over my face. Twirling it again, I feel uneasy. It bends toward me like it's asking me a question. I must have dreamed everything. Maybe we ate something in the woods accidentally to curb our hunger, but it gave us delusions. There were kids at my high school that had really bad experiments with Datura in their aunt's garden. But I would never do that. How was my memory replaced with these strange vignettes then? Does fear alter our experience that much? Was the moss a hallucination because I was desperate and Lacey just happened to know the woods better than me? Was the whole thing a prank on a reality show? If Lacey can put this behind her so quickly, why can't I? And what help can I be to the others when I'm this haggard anyway? I'm not sure what I look like exactly, but I'm sure I have frizzy hair and dark enough circles under my eyes that I would scare the kids. This look screams, I walked all night through the woods crying. Lacey went through the same thing and even she was judging me. I squeeze the stem of the angelica and slowly start picking off its leaves at the base. My anxiety is surging. Then I pick off a flower head and chuck it across the room. Tears are falling now. I pick off another and throw it harder. Finally, I take the whole flower and throw it toward the fan. It rips into a couple pieces which are hurled in different directions across the room like a batter hitting a curveball. <sighs> I brought yarn with me even though I know Matt wasn't being literal. I weave my fingers in and out of a loop, like the spider, 
I get halfway through Cat's cradle before stopping, because the rest needs two people. I hold the web of yarn above me and stare between the fibers. I turn away from the sunlight to the floor. The flower pieces are gone. The fan thrums like a heartbeat. My breath seizes in my chest. It wasn't real. I... I don't need it anyway. It's just a flower. I can't do this. I can't stay here slowly losing my mind. If I can't sleep, maybe I can join the search party. They're not that far ahead of me. If I end up dead in the woods from exhaustion, at least I died trying. Here lies Anna Pierce, overly sensitive idiot. I'd rather die anyway than be this much of a failure. I don't deserve to sleep in my cabin while Claire is out there somewhere. This time I have real resources. I'm prepared now. A charged phone with a downloaded hiking app, granola bars, my thermos and water in my pack. This is stupid. I'm so fucking stupid. Now it's close to noon. I'm looking back and forth across open spaces to avoid Matt. I pull my pack over my shoulder. I'm doing this. Most of the kids are busy eating lunch. The counselor's cabins are on the other side of the stable, so I'm covered. With the only strength I have, I launch myself toward the woods. I can't fail this time. I don't need Lacey. I don't need glowy plants. I don't need Matt to tell me what to do. I know I'm smart enough. I know I can do this myself. It's okay to mess up, my dad used to tell me. You have to stop being so hard on yourself. I pretend like he's really here listening, and I say, I'm sorry, Dad. Maybe he knew this a year ago, but being hard on myself is my default, and it's gonna help me find Claire. I'm crossing the meadow again. The insects are frenzied with sound in the tall grass. Sometimes I imagine he's walking right behind me, just so I can have some fortitude. I notice my posture's gotten really bad. Okay, breathe. It's been over 24 hours, so time is crucial now. Approaching the tree line, I smell something strange, like smoke. It's not clean, wood-burning smoke. It's harsher, a sharp smell. Looking down, the grass withers near my feet. (gasps) I step away. The moss hums again. No matter where I step, the leaves and ground cover start to smolder. There's no flame, just ash, like my feet are toxic to the ground. Okay, okay, it's just in my head. I'm just tired. It's probably a campfire someone didn't put out correctly. I keep walking. Charred lines blacken the ground behind me, following me faster and faster. Dozens of coneflowers hug the path. They all start to sag and the petals singe off. They're wilting. Branches are breaking around me. I'm running now, flying down the trail. At the first bend, I fly off the path heading into the heavy leaves and brush. The others are so far ahead of me, I'll never catch up. Finally, an open space filled with thin trees and yellow leaves, the first sign of autumn. I slow myself and whip around to look behind me. I don't smell anything. I catch my breath and quickly pull my hair into a bun. Okay, think. There's north. That direction is the top of the mountain, northeast, so I should head down again. I hear the ground crunching nearby, probably a deer. That's when it emerges. A beautiful black horse with a white blaze on its forehead. I'm startled it's out here. 
I'm frozen in place. It exhales softly, wary of my presence. I wonder if it's one of the feral horses in this area. I've never seen one, but about a hundred years ago, people who couldn't afford to keep their horses just turned them out into the hills. Nowadays, they roam around in herds along the strip mines, and people still find excuses to abandon their domestics. Usually, the ferals have smaller ears, since they're malnourished. But this one's ears look normal, as far as I can tell. They're flipping back and forth to pick up my sound. (sighs) Hey there. I'm definitely not in an emotional state to get close. It can feel my fear. To my shock, it approaches me. I see now that it's probably a mare. Not unfed, but not very healthy-looking either. It bows its head and slowly steps into the leaves, tentatively pressing its hooves around the roots. Its nostrils flare to release breath. This moment is fragile. I'm not sure how safe it is. It's close to me now, and I steady myself against a tree. It's close enough that I feel its breath on my hand. Carefully, I stroke its soft nose. Once it trusts me to do this, I shift to its left side for safety. She can see my arm lift to stroke her neck. What are you doing out here? I know I can't do anything for her right now. I need to keep looking. I pat her withers and pull out my phone with my other hand to note my location. When I touch her mane, I feel a sharp burning sensation. (sighs) Her hair is singed. I try to stop it from touching her neck, but when I do, her mane starts to fall out in huge clumps. (sighs) It smolders in my hand. When I look up, her mane is molting, burning, falling away in the wind. Revealed underneath is sinew, thin muscle, and bone. (sighs) That thing, the spirit, it's found me. The horse rears on its hind legs, exposing burned skin on its belly. I try to run away, but I trip. The horse almost comes down on me, but somehow it misses. I roll to my knees and run. The trunks of the trees are singeing from the ground up. The burning contagion surrounds me, like it's preventing me from going. The horse charges toward me. When she knocks her head toward my body, I block her with my arms, pushing my hands against her head. (laughs) They're burned. I hear a man's voice in the distance. Go on, kid. I can't tell where it's coming from, but I'm scrambling to get away. I swing behind a tree. Uh, My hands! I push myself further into the brush. The horse charges behind me again, its powerful neck knocking me into a tree. My phone slams into the ground next to me. I reach for it, praying I don't get stepped on. When I pull my phone towards me, I catch my reflection in its black surface. The horse rears and shoves its front legs toward me. I fall suddenly onto a hard surface. (sighs) I open my eyes. I'm facing gas pumps. I push my body up with my hands, totally disoriented. I search frantically for the horse. My fingers are pressed into something grassy. (sighs) I shove myself onto the pavement, looking back at my landing spot. It's my car. I'm at the gas station. There's no broken glass from last night. There's no horse either. It didn't follow me. But my car is covered top to bottom in thick soil and moss. 
Moss Hollow is written and performed by Melinda Beck, original music by Kendall Winter, Mountain Foley by Melody Parrish. I have some special episodes planned for October, and some of them are spookier than usual, so I wanted to ask, what is your favorite Appalachian or Kentucky-based ghost story? You can submit yours at Moss Hollow Pod on Twitter, or you can write to me directly at mosshollowpod at gmail.com. And if you've listened this far and you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends if you like, and consider leaving me a rating or a review. It helps others find the podcast too. Find more of Kendall's music on her Instagram at winterkendall, that's K-E-N-D-L. And finally, you can find everything at mosshollowpod.com. I release a new episode every Tuesday, so I'll see you then. And thanks for listening. Thank you.